Machute Mate recognizes the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and any indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. We stand in solidarity in their struggle towards the colonization and land back. Buenas mi gente, what is good? Wow, it sure has uh, been a while, a little over a month, I think, right? (laughs) What seemed like a year where we would have lots of free time suddenly turned into a year with like practically none at all. Uh, Nonetheless, my name is Austin G, back at it again in place of our normal host, Leroy, who we love and miss. Soon enough, we will... Hopefully have the whole crew back together again. Uh, But today, I can't think of a more appropriate day to be having an interview such as this one, considering today, at least our day where we are recording, happens to be the anniversary of the 26th of July attack on the Moncada barracks in Cuba, which led to the birth of the 26th of July movement, of course, uh, which led the Cuban Revolution uh, uh, with Fidel Castro. Um, and I can't think of a more special date to be beginning to bring the pod back together. Um, we're speaking of, we've got a great episode lined up for you all today alongside one of my favorite people in the world, dare I say, dare I say that, um, who I will be introducing here in just a moment. Uh, but before we get there, you all know the drill, our machete matistas, right? This ain't your first rodeo. You know how this goes. Uh, yeah. T, my brother, who is in fact here with me, tell us how you've been. How are your vibes? And How's it going? And, and, How's it going? And, and, and please, let's spice things up a bit. Tell us what the Cuban revolution means to you on this most special of holidays. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm doing well. Uh, just actually came off of a, like, a staycation. Um, I uh, had some uh, time off banked uh, for this year that I apparently just wasn't using. And so um, in order to kind of, for a number of reasons, I had to burn through it um, and I needed a break. So I'm coming off of a nice uh, bit of time off work, which was, you know, good for, you know, renewing the self, you know, um, we, we need those breaks from really any, you know, anything, not just, uh, you know, working a shit, uh, like a shit job, but especially that, but, you know, just any kind of like activity, you, you know, you definitely need to take a time to kind of catch your breath because it's, you know, it's, it's just not sustainable. So it was good. And coming off that vibes are good there. I think with the Cuban revolution, um, really it, it was one of the first things that kind of drew me to, explicitly left-wing politics in the sense of like having like the words and the, the, the ideology and all the $4 words, you know what I mean? It was much earlier than that. You get kind of the convictions just living in this world, right? You, but you don't have words for it, but it was the story of the Cuban revolution of of, like most, you know, young, young people, uh, you know, who have, who kind of are left-wing or have interests that way. You know, I I was immediately inspired by Che, by Che's story. Um, And I think it's just the courage, right? Courage is, probably the foundation of just like good living and, and doing the shit. Right. So the incredible courage of, of, of the Cuban revolution in the face of not just getting something together to overthrow Batista, but then subsequently standing against, you know, the, the all powerful United States, just 90 miles away. Um, it's a tremendous achievement. So it really, the most inspiring thing is, you know, I'm always inspired by, you know, what is it that drives a compasino to, you know, rise up man when generation after generation they've suffered so it's really just the courage it takes to really make that choice when to 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 take the step is the really big one for me um what about you austin damn right we got to take the step i loved that that was beautiful thank you um, the vibes are great already so before i even talk about like what the cuban revolution means to me on this most beautiful of days um my vibes are actually really great right i i have to say i feel better than I have in quite some time. And I, you know, tying it kind of to the Cuban revolution, right? I feel like I owe it all to my comrades, right? I can't emphasize enough. I can't emphasize enough. And I know I've said this on the podcast plenty of times uh, recently. I can't emphasize enough 
the importance of the social aspect of socialism, right? T, I think this is something you've said in the past that I now say everywhere to everybody and as a just a general saying, right? That is to say that socialism is not just a noun. It's also a verb, right? It's also something you got to do. Um, being there for each other, right? And it, that's why I once again say, Leroy, if you're listening, we love you, brother, right? Uh, being there for each other is so important. That's right. And dare I say the gorillas only had each other when they were up in the Sierra Maestra in Cuba. And obviously not to discount the role of locals that played a critical role in helping them. But you guys know what I mean. Um, we've talked plenty on Cuba in the past, right? But once again, it's you know just just to reiterate some of the things you said without going on too long here, it's just impossible to underestimate or overestimate the importance and influence of the bravery of the Cuban guerrillas. Their example created shockwaves, uh, obviously across the world, but definitely across the region. The Sandinistas in Nicaragua, the FMLN in El Salvador, the URNG. I hope I'm saying that right, in Guatemala, the FARC in Colombia, obviously, right? And many other groups in the region which were directly inspired by their example. Um, Cuba itself has taught us how messy of a process the transition to a socialist society can be, right? It isn't always linear, as we like to say. Um, But I think one of the most astonishing developments of the 21st century is the current state of Cuba. We live in a world where we have a Cuba that is no longer controlled by a member of the Castro family, right? A Cuba that is an example to the world in what a society which focuses on the health and well-being of its citizens can be. It's a model that its detractors (laughs) never said would be possible to be achieved during the 20th century. And yet here it is persisting, growing, and continuing to inspire but without further ado, I will leave it at that. I will shut up. That's right. And I am That's happy. Right. Shut up, Austin. And I am happy to pivot over to our guest for today. Her name is Luisa Martinez. For me, not only a comrade, but a longtime close friend of mine within the Democratic Socialists of America. She's here to talk about, among other things, her, her candidacy for the National Political Committee of DSA. Right. Um, but before we even get to all that, Luisa. Tell us how you're doing today. How are your vibes? And please give us your thoughts on this day as well. Hey, comrades. Um, yeah, today I'm feeling pretty good. Um, slept seven hours last night. It's a good strong seven hours. Um, I've had <laughs> sleeping issues my whole life, but seven hours is like really solid. And I just got back from like a nice long trip to Brazil. And, you know, it was technically winter there, but like winter in Brazil is like June in Portland. You know, so it's not, it was, I just like wore a jacket at night, you know? Uh, And yeah, overall, I feel, I feel great. I'm just chilling. Beautiful. Oh my goodness. Thank you for being here. So, wow. There's so many different things I'd love to discuss with you. Right. But just from like a a bird's eye view, just getting to know you just for listeners who are, who are maybe hearing who you are for the first time. um, Who are you? What are like? What is your background? What is what is your background here in the United States? Your background as an organizer. Once again, who who are you? Tell the people. Who am I? Um, okay, so <laughs> it sounds like I'm. It feels like I'm talking to my shrink. Uh, no, but you know, going back to the Cuba thing, I just wanted to say that for me, like learning about the Cuban Revolution was very much just like the rest of you know, like a lot of leftists involved undoing all the shit that I heard growing up. I grew up in South Florida. I was born in Chile. I was an undocumented immigrant for, for um, a, <laughs> 16 years. A, and then, um, yeah, and I grew up in South Florida. So, you know, I grew up listening to like the most uh, <laughs> strongly anti-communist radio. There's a program called Radio Mambi La Grande. It's just like, it's just like anti-Castro 24-7. Oh. so it's it's just the you know the joys of growing up in south florida so and that was like very much my childhood so um yeah i mean learning about the cuban revolution and learning what a what an enormous inspiration it is um not just uh, in the americas right just like across the world right um it was you know it was very much like a process to me it wasn't like i i, I just picked up a book it was very much deliberately unlearning all the shit that you get um, uh, growing up in hegemony, right? Imperialist mm-hmm. hegemony. 
but yeah, no, about me. Um, yeah, like I said, I was born in Chile. Um, and so, you know, just like a lot of DACA kids, we came here when I was young and I didn't know I was undocumented until I was like, uh, you know, 15, very common story. 15, you go to get your, uh, learner's permit and then <laughs> somebody in your family explains like, oh, let's take a seat. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, I lived, um, uh, so that was pretty shitty until I got my paperwork and then I finally got to college and that's when I went, I got into activism. Right. And so I've been an activist for 13 years. And so um, I first started off uh, doing homeless rights and then um, I did immigrants rights uh, and then I got into labor. I was, became very active in the graduate instructor at union um, at my university. And uh, now my focus is um, in international solidarity, right? And again, part of this process of, it's all part of a process of undoing, getting the hegemony out, right? Mm -hmm, yeah. And then uh, making sure that I have uh, an understanding of history that, that makes sense to me. That's, that's one rooted in justice. That was beautiful. Oh my goodness. I have so, so like legitimately, I have so many questions about all of that. And like, reiterating i guess peeking behind the curtain here right like we are like good friends we've spent time together in venezuela in las vegas right in various other places we'll be spending time together in chicago um but there are even things that like uh, about you that I, i'd be curious to know more of right like what made you a socialist right like what was there and you've kind of touched upon this just in what you've said right now but like ooh, was it like through college or like through activism that you're like you know what this Karl marx guy you know he might be onto something or like, was there any like sort of like moment, like, was it gradual? Like, once again, I'm just curious, what, what, what made you a socialist? So, um, you know, being, being growing up poor, I grew up poor. When I say poor, like below the poverty line, poor, we all grew up working class, right? As long as we're part of the 99%. But I grew up in poverty. And so, uh, you know, my mom was an undocumented house, um, housekeeper. And so like that alone will <laughs> radicalize you if, you know, give enough uh, information uh, but no, it was like having that experience, right? Being at, I went to the University of Florida, which, you know, is a good, I know a lot of people kind of shit on the South, but it's actually a really good school. It's considered public Ivy League. And so the way I see it is, is that if you're not rich enough to go to like a Harvard or Yale or whatever, you go to the University of Florida, right? That's like very much a second tier uh, school for uh, rich people in Florida. And so being around them, that was really the first time that I had been around that many middle class people. Um, in my life. And so, uh, you know, that was its own experience. And then finally, I mean, if we have to isolate kind of a moment, I picked up, um, what is it called like conversations on Latin America. It was just a conversation. It was a Noam Chomsky book. Uh, he was interviewed by some German guy named like Hans Dieter or something like that. And so that was the first time that I like, I got an explanation because what I was looking for, and I didn't realize it at the moment, I was just trying to figure out, like, why are we so fucking poor? Like, why is all of Latin America, why is the only, I never learned anything, right, in, in, in public schools, right? Now things are changing. But then the only thing I knew about Latin America is just, you know, everybody's poor, there's some dictators, uh, there's a lot of drugs down there. Uh, it's funny, like, growing up in, like, South Florida, right? But no, down there is full of drugs. And um, I think that's really what the answer was. And it, 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 it started to give me some explanation. And what Chomsky is good about is that he gives, you know, he talks about uh, aggressively about imperialism, right? But he also talks about democracy, he talks about leftist movements, he highlights people, um, he uh, highlights, you know, he introduces different concepts of democracy um, that exist in the rest of the world. And then the very, very narrow interpretation that most people have in the United States, right? And so like, if I had to isolate the moment, um, I would say it was that book where I, I read it and it was like um, that exploding mind guy meme. I'm so sorry to introduce the internet to this, but you guys know what I'm talking about? That, that meme with the guy's brain exploding. <laughs> so that's what it was. <laughs> the beautiful visual picture. I hope you guys appreciate yes. that. But that's, that's really what it was. If I had to isolate a moment. So what I love so much about this is that and T, I'm sure you'll echo this. What I love so much about uh, interviewing uh, comrades such as yourself is that all of our your experience rhymes so much with our experience, right? Yo, it, it rhymes ass. so much with the experience of damn near everybody else we've interviewed on here, right? I used to tell people when I first started with activism in our place in the middle of nowhere in Virginia, I used to feel so alone, right? I used to think like, 
who who like our our dad like you know puerto rican who was raised born and raised in puerto rico didn't have like a formal education like in rural puerto rico didn't have a formal education down there right like he cleaned rich people's houses and shit like that to like keep the roof over we would go to rich people's houses and help him like clean them and so yeah please t Yo, there is nothing that will get you to realize that these people are freaks and like your enemy <laughs> forever. You know what I mean? Like, yes. when, you know what I mean? Like, I tell you what, like, you know, this is about you, Louisa, but I just, I gotta, I gotta say this. I actually, one year when I was in a sophomore in high school, one of the houses um, that my father cleaned, the daughter was in the same English, English class as I was. Um, God, very weird. They, the, you will you will never forget the moment too. Not to you know make it kind of sad. You'll never forget the moment when one of these fucks like talks down to your parent in front of you. You know what I mean? The, you'll never forget the first time it really hits you that like oh okay the uh, you yeah just cleaning houses will make you crazy, dude, dude. Straight up, dude. When we were in Vegas, didn't I tell you the Ray Bans I was wearing? They were my dad's bosses. Like that's the kind of <laughs> yeah. shit we do. Like we get hand me downs yeah. from our dad's boss, right? Fuck the person up, he breaks his back for, right? So like, um, but but just uh, ironing that, driving that point home a little bit more. You know, I always felt so alone, and I have met so many people of such a similar story with immigrant parents who went through the exact same shit. Almost every single one, right? So I look at the beauty in that, right? We are the children of these immigrants, right? In your case, Louisa, literally an immigrant, beginning to build something that can connect back to our home countries. But we'll get into that more, right? I also wanted to touch a little bit upon, and not to get too long here, touch upon your your, your mentioning of Chomsky there, right? Like a lot of people forget just how in the wilderness the left in the United States was for a very long time. Right. And I remember Chomsky was one of those few guys that was like considered like a respected public intellectual that like, Oh my God, like I would read Chomsky back in the day. It was Chomsky that Chavez famously like held up at the UN back in the two thousands. Right. Oh, I, was it manufacturing consent or whatever the fuck. Right. Like, so. I forget. Oh my goodness. You all have to read this book. Right. Like now, I mean, I guess, I mean, I don't, we don't even have to get into a conversation on Chomsky because that's a whole other thing, but that's very interesting to me. Um, how would you say I'd be yeah, – okay, go ahead, T. Well, no, I was just going to echo your point. He was an introduction for a lot of people, like in terms of like getting the words for things, right? You know, we all had it in our bones from our experiences growing up, but for a lot of people and not just, you know, people of our circumstances or, or, or your circumstances, um, but it was he was just an intro for a lot of folks. It was it was kind of – he was the your gateway drug kind of – Dude, exactly. So, like, you kind of touched upon this, Louisa, but, like, I'd be curious, right? Like, how would you say your experience in poverty, like, informs your politics and your organizing, right? Like, and and feel free to answer that however you feel, uh, however you you want to. Yeah. So, I would say, like, honestly, getting hand-me-downs from rich people is, like, the best part of being – that's honestly – I think it's a plus. (laughs) Those Ray-Bans broke. I need new Ray-Bans. Yeah, so many lands and like tunics and shit like that. You know, like rich oh. people like vacation wear would sure. get that too. Um, but yeah, I, I also got a pair of sunglasses. Um, but <laughs> uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah, the poverty thing. So there's so I I you know I say that I'm sure you guys share this perspective too. Is that you know the, I my life that I see the world my lens is race. Um, and it's class though. That's the thing about growing up poor because you can't ignore it. And so, um, you know, I don't feel like we, we discuss class, we discuss class war a lot within DSA, but we'd never ever talk about like the fact that most of DSA is middle-class, right? And they have a middle-class background and that informs our politics. That informs the structure. It informs decision-making. It informs the way that we act around each other. It, um, it informs our positions and who I identify with. And it just has, in my opinion, again, my perspective, it just has such a, a, like a strong influence, but we never talk about it. Probably I, the conjecture on my part, just because people maybe feel they don't want to bring that up, you know, that they grew up middle class. Um, I don't think it's the worst thing in the world, honestly. I think we could just, I think it's okay to talk about it, right? And so, um, it's just it's just a way to address baggage and so part of it is you know again socialism is a process and part of that is rejecting the kind of rugged individualism 
um, that informs our organization. So like part of it is, and I'm just, you know, I've, I've said this um, like on panels and stuff like that, is that we don't have a, a, a culture of proletarian debate, right? Um, I don't know. You could say it's a white thing. I don't think that it is. I think it's a middle-class thing, this kind of um, conflict aversion, but like, I would say it's more like direct communication aversion, right? So it's got to be, stuff's got to be on Twitter, like one-on-one uh, debates are not really, uh, you, I, I don't really see that in our organization, right? Um, and so like, instead, we just go online and part of it is just an organization being led by youth, right? Mm. Um, so there's that. And then, but we don't have this expectation, like we are going to debate and as a political organization, we're going to schedule a time and that's going to be an expectation that we have debate, right? And so we do it every two years at convention, but that's every two years for, uh, you know, however many, I don't even know how many members we have. It's different based on who you asked, but, uh, you know, it's, I see it as a middle-class thing, right? And then also another thing that we should, you know, that I think is something that we need to reconcile with is that a lot of the anger that middle-class DSA folks have, the reason why they're socialists is because they feel a certain sense of entitlement, Mm. right? That they grew up middle-class, their parents um, could afford a house, their parents could afford like a car that's reliable. Uh, You know, their parents weren't swimming in debt. So then why wouldn't I get that? Why, why, why aren't I entitled to have that? And that's necessarily a bad thing. I really don't think it's a bad thing, but it's, we have to (laughs) address the privilege, right? We have to recognize that that, is a certain amount of privilege. I don't expect anything in the goddamn world. If it is, it's informed by my sense of socialism, right? By my uh, mm. the human rights that are embedded uh, it, it, within socialism, but it's not because I grew up middle class. And so, um, you know, how do you navigate human rights and dignity when your source of outrage is, again, this kind of middle class entitlement? Um, so I read once, or somebody told me about this once on Twitter that uh, <laughs> DSA... Uh, are the downward is comprised of the downwardly mobile children of the professional managerial class, <laughs> and that's kind of harsh. I mean, that's solid. Don't little, get me wrong. It's, it's a little harsh, but yeah, I, it's extreme. Yeah, but that's fucking funny. I don't care who you are. Keep it real. Keep it <laughs> yeah, real. That's solid. Yeah. That's solid. It's harsh, but it's true. I think that it's 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 true. There's a, a, an element of truth from that. And so, like, if we have an organization that's people who come from privilege, then how? we need to explore that detachment from the global South. Right. And the realities of the fact of, of how socialist movements have improved the lives of poor people. Right. So how do our, how, how does it stop us from imagining ourselves in the shoes of a poor Venezuelan person? Right. Do we know what it's like to not Mm -hmm. have running water three days out of the week? You know, do we know what it's like uh, to just not have reliable electricity? Right. Um, do we know what it's like not to have a dryer, you know, or even a washer? You know, that's the reality for a lot of people in the world. If you've never had that experience, well, then how do you start to understand what that, um, what that's like, right? Or the character of the politics in those countries, right? Um, the, the way their political practice manifests itself, which can sometimes seem a little, choosing methods and practices that we might not necessarily, uh, which seem odd to someone who grows up in the hegemon um, and kind of respecting that the, the different sort of character of, of, of movements in those countries. Absolutely. Or some of the agreements make, right? Like for instance, I'll, I'll give you an example and I'm not, I don't always, I honestly, I don't want to be the Venezuela lady just because I have other, <laughs> you know, I have, I, I have other interests. Like I'm not one dimensional, you know what I'm saying? Like you guys heard some of it, I'm, you know, labor person. I'm actually, a, I forgot to mention a full-time labor organizer. I've helped organize like seven strikes. Um, the average increase has been 12 and a half percent. Like I, you know, I know labor, but I'm, I'm still, nevertheless, I'm going to give you an example from Venezuela. <laughs> which is that um, uh, there's criticism that, you know, Venezuela has um, trade relationships with Turkey, right? And Russia, right? They have just normal ass trade agreements, right? But then, you know, you have ultra leftists in the United States saying, how dare they um, trade with, uh, you know, Erdogan? 
But you have to understand, like during the 2017 Guarimbas, like people were, there was food scarcity. There was food scarcity. There was very little access to dollars, right? The, the uh, Bolivares were, were the, the, the Venezuelan currency was plummeting, right? There was no chaos. And so um, there were power outages because the right wing was um, attacking the power grids. They literally melted a generator um, mm-hmm. on the border with yeah Brazil. And so you have to understand that level of desperation to understand why a trade relationship with Turkey or with Russia, the idea that they would provide food when there's, there's massive food scarcity because of fascism, like the idea that you would criticize that is just so far removed from reality, right? It's far removed from the reality of Venezuelans. And you'll even talk to comrades, talk to comrades in the communes who, uh, you know, they don't necessarily like Erdogan, but they respect that Russia was there or Turkey was there for them during this period of, of, of violence in the streets, right? And so that's what I'm saying when I talk about, like, we need to understand what desperation looks like. We have to understand uh, <laughs> praxis, but then also why these decisions are made. It doesn't mean uncritically. We can talk about it. But, you know, when you have, um, when you have leftists in the United States, right, whose understanding of socialism comes out of a textbook, you just see how ridiculous it is, right, compared to when you actually talk to poor people. Oh, my goodness. I am loving this so far. Clearly, we're going to need to have you back on another time for, like, just a whole fucking, like, theoretical episode. Because, no doubt. No because doubt. this is – you are touching on key Machete Matista themes right now. <laughs> These are very – key Machete Matista themes, which we love to discuss. If Lero was here, he'd be having a fucking field day. Anyways, love you again, brother. So, so – Touching on a few a few different things that you that you mentioned here, um, and segueing into kind of our our next uh, topics here. Um, so through your work in DSA, um, I'd love to hear more about like once again the work you have done in DSA. Um, I know you're a former co-chair in your chapter, right, Portland, one of the largest chapters in the country, right? Oh my goodness! Um, Shout out the comrades. We love the Portland comrades. Always been there for us. We'll always be there for them. Um, that is to say, from the Virginia DSA perspective, uh, the you're also a, I guess at this point, longtime member of the steering committee of the International Committee, right? An incumbent member of the steering committee of the International Committee. I, I'd love to hear you talk about your experience in in leadership roles in DSA, right? And then what that's been like so far. Yeah, I think it's funny. Three years is like it is a long time by DSA standards, but yeah, I've been on the <laughs> steering is. committee for three years. Yeah, um, and so yeah, I was a, a co-chair of Portland DSA, one of the larger chapters. We're number eight. We're number eight. I think we're number eight largest. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And uh, yeah, you know, my period was great. I will say I was co-chair during pretty much COVID, so most of it, like, we didn't have a single in-person meeting, unfortunately, but. Uh, yeah, uh, I think one of the things that I was able to do um, that kind of straight, uh, stayed true to myself, but then also I feel contributed to my chapter was I brought in guest speakers. So we had um, uh, Vijay, our friends Vijay Prashad uh, come and speak. He was a guest speaker. There's a guy named uh, Diego Polanco. He oh, we love Diego. Spoke. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah, been yeah, on the pod a few times. Oh, okay, I didn't know that. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, he came and spoke about the Chilean elections was happening at that time. Um, uh, well, there's uh, a couple people. I, I just I tried to. Inf- I, here's the thing: if you're going to come to a socialist meeting, right, especially on a Sunday, we have them on Sundays, Sunday afternoon. It's like you got to give people something, right? Sure. Uh, and it can't always just be bylaw revisions because it's not going <laughs> to keep them there. So I was really hoping. I, I was really trying to get a draw. Right. Here is a reason to come to our meeting. Maybe you'll learn something cool. Um, oh, I had Carlos Ron, oh, uh, the, the uh, yeah, the uh, vice minister of um, North America, uh, foreign, the ministry of yeah, something ministry like of foreign that. affairs in Venezuela. Yes. Sorry, the titles are always so long. Um, <laughs> he came and, spe- and, and spoke. Um, Nick Estes, our boy Nick, Nick hey, Estes came that. and spoke. He was fantastic. He was such a good speaker. So interesting the entire time. So yeah, it was my thinking is that, and this has always been my kind of organizing perspective is that you got to give people something. Um, 
to, to draw them there. If it's food, that's fine. That's what we do with the union movement all the time. You got to give them food. That's always my whole thing. He's like, we got to give them food, something like that. Uh, but I feel like, um, you know, if you can just uh, give some, give the promise of something interesting, like we're going to talk about something interesting. Um, I think we can get people to do this. And it wasn't easy carrying, you know, kind of like carrying the torch as it were, uh, or, um, you know, being in leadership during COVID. I mean, COVID did a, a number on not just DSA, but all of society, right? So, you know, to keep kind of like the lights on as it were, and, to, and you know, keep, you know, make sure things are moving without the ability to really meet in person is a very difficult task. So, you know, you should be commended for taking, for stepping into a, a leadership role in difficult times, you know, that is uh, very commendable. Um, a lot of folks prefer the easy times, right? It says a lot that, you know, you were like, nah, I, hard, perfect, hard times, perfect. It's, it's for me, you know? So hell yeah, good for you on that one. That's dope. <laughs> yeah, thanks. It's like, yeah, more Zooms. This is great, more <laughs> Zooms, just pile them on. <laughs> also, meanwhile, you did that while still an incumbent member of the steering committee. In fact, I think I recall I could be wrong here. I think I recall when you were first considering running for Portland DSA co-chair, like telling, I'm sure I was one of many people you told about this, right? That you were thinking about this because you were still an incumbent member of the steering committee of the IC. Um, you know, I'd love to talk more about the IC experience, right? Like we, so you and I went to Venezuela twice, right? That Those were both very interesting experiences. Uh, we did in fact meet with Nicolas Maduro. We fist bumped him among with many other people, right? That All right, all right, all right, all right. Our good friend Nick, right? Uh, the other Nick, that is. Um, and uh, so most recently though, <laughs> most recently though, you were able to go to uh, Brazil, to Brasilia uh, for a couple weeks, right? Like uh, you were there as a member of DSA's first ever in-person delegation to a meeting of the Sao Paulo Forum, right? Uh, I'd be so curious to learn more about this, right? And, and some of the things you were able to do in Brazil. Um, expanding upon that, like my first question is like a genuine one, right? I think people are curious. What is the relationship between the Sao Paulo Forum and DSA right now? And before you even answer that, like just for a little bit of background, right? The Sao Paulo Forum is the largest uh I don't know, international conference or gathering of leftist political parties uh, within the hemisphere, right? Within the Americas. Um, DSA being the largest socialist organization in the United States. Like, I don't see how anybody can spin that as anything other than historic, right? The largest socialist organization in the United States meeting directly with the largest so alliance of socialist and leftist parties in Latin America. Um, what exactly is the nature of that relationship right now? Yeah, so we're technically associate members because... Um... You have to be a party, technically, to be a part. But they, but still, I mean, the fact that they're, um, I think we're like the only associate member. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they're definitely accommodating to us. Um, and so uh, that, you know, you you know, you uh, helped author the uh, resolution that passed at DSA convention a couple years ago that, you know, that said we would apply for membership. I don't have to tell you that, of course. And so, yeah, it took two years, um, but it happened, you know, meetings and stuff like that. But it did finally happen. That and um, a lot of Foro uh, Sao Paulo meetings were uh, suspended, right, because of COVID. So this was the first in-person one in, in, since COVID, like a big one. They've, they had regional in-person ones, but this was the first um, full full meeting. So, yeah, and we were welcomed. It was a great time. We gave a panel. Um, we did a panel discussion and... Um, you know, one of the things that, that they asked for, and this has been consistent with my experience kind of doing these things, um, it hasn't been my, my first internationalist. I'm not trying to brag or anything like that, but. Please. Oh, <laughs> no, brag, no. brag away. Right, yeah. No, but I've been to enough of these things where I kind of know the way that it's going to go. And, I, you know, one thing that has been consistent in everything that I've gone to, uh, El Congreso Vicentenario del Pueblo del Mundo, the thing that we did the first time we went for the delegation, I went to... Uh, Internacional Feminista. Um, I did another thing I don't really remember. And then I did this. And it's just like, there, there's, there has been, they are starved for US analysis. Mm -hmm. That is, it's every time they're like, what's going on in the United States? Because they're also going to be CNN Espanol, right? Yep. And so that's, I... yeah. And they're, they're, they're pining for an alternative. And so that was the nature of our panel. That's what we presented on. Dude, this is, oh, oh my goodness. You're striking upon something very important here. This is the entire reason 
and T, you can confirm this, right? This is the entire reason I joined DSA in the first fucking place, right? There's nothing that frustrated me in the last 10 years of following the left in Latin America and the United States than the clear disconnect I, I felt I saw and many others obviously saw between the left in Latin America and the left in the United States and the language barrier, as you reference here, uh, being a big part of that, right? Um, I think it's such a massive achievement. Like, how is this not being sung from the rooftops, right? That DSA is engaging with the Sao Paulo Forum, right? That's fucking incredible. Like, like I just think back, if I was Austin who never had joined DSA and was just some asshole reading Wikipedia articles and saw, <laughs> and, and saw oh my God, the DSA is meeting with the Sao Paulo Forum? Holy fuck. That would be my reaction, right? And it's precisely because of what you say. They're starred for US analysis, right? What is something I love to say? And I promise I will shut up here in a moment and get back to the conversation. What is something I love to say, right? Which is the Latin American left, and not even just the Latin American left, the left around the world, they're cheering us on. They're yeah. rooting for us. They're counting on us right they're trying to call us it's us who are not picking up the phone right Yo. so yes. much so much of like building this up and being the large and like taking on the responsibility of what it means to be a socialist in the united states is picking up that fucking phone right holy shit and they have so much to teach us which oh my goodness the lessons you learned in brazil right you also were able to meet with the the landless workers movement as well while, while you were in brazil I'd love to Hell hear yeah. about that, right? The MST is obviously yeah. one of the most inspiring organizations in the entire hemisphere. Please, if you could tell us, like, first of all, what even is the MST, right? And and, and what, what that was all like. Yeah, so, well, actually, can I make a couple points about the Foro Sao Paulo? Please, please. Is that all right? Okay, yeah. So just a, a summary. So the, 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 the topics were, you'd be shocked, learn sovereignty, right, from imperialism. Imperialism came up a, a, a lot. United States in particular, but wasn't just the United States, right? Um, and so Ukraine came up a lot. Uh, China was a, a clear theme throughout. Actually, the China, I think he was, I forgot to write down his title, but I, I think he was the International Se Secretary for the Chinese Communist Party. Because right? again, this is a, a, com a, a Congress of Parties, right? He spoke on the second day for the uh, plenary, which is the, you know, the most important part of the day for the second day. The first night Lula spoke, right? But the second night um, he was on the panel. And so he was super interesting too. So friendship with China, continued development with China was very much a theme, right? That everybody talked about. Uh, the blockade against uh, Cuba, uh, Nicaragua, and, and um, Venezuela, very consistent theme throughout, right? Getting rid of the blockades. Um, and yeah, China. And so like one of the things that one of the points that he make was really, I thought was really interesting is that um, he spoke about development, right? And so one of the things, one of the points that he made was that um, we have proven to the world that um, modernization, industrialization is not exclusively a Western thing. Mm -hmm. China, you know, we've developed the high speed trains, we've developed mm -hmm. the, you know, the robots that come and, you know, uh, serve you waffles in the morning, that type of, you know, shit that they're, they're doing over there. And so um, that was very much a point of pride for uh, uh, the minister, uh, for the, um, the secretary when he spoke. So I thought that was really interesting. And so, um, you know, juxtaposing that to like, for instance, a socialist vision uh, within Bolivia, right? They're not about high-speed trains, right? They'll develop, right? Mm -hmm. They'll keep mining lithium to survive, right? To, to pay the bills. Um, but their vision is not, uh, you know, bullet trains um, around the country. Their, their vision is something else. And so, you know, we can, uh, you can make an individual judgment whether or not that's good or bad, right? But as, for instance, socialists in the United States and building our own vision, we have to take those two things into account, right? And that's the type of cool shit that you learn when we go to these types of things. <laughs> so it's so important to be exposed uh, to, um, uh, two representatives from these different parties, right? That's part of our development. Um, so I thought that that was, uh, uh, that was really cool, but in terms of, um, MST, so I don't know how much I have to explain it's, um, movement of landless, uh, uh, uh workers. Sometimes it's translated into peasants, but while I was down there, I heard the, the, the intention was very much, um, workers, right? 
And so they've been um, uh, an organization that's been around, I think it's 37 years, something like that. They had developed around the time, the same time as PT. Mm. So they've always had, um, they've always supported one another, right? MST is more of the grassroots side, more of the, uh, you know, they're, they're embedded in the rural parts, whereas the PT is very much, you know, obviously the, the political wing um, of the Brazilian left movement. And so, um, you know, one of the things, so my idea, first off, I had decided to go to Brazil months before I even knew about Foro Sao Paulo. My whole thing was, I want to meet the MST. I want to visit that damn school. I want to ask all my questions that I want to ask, right? Because they're so interesting to me and I've heard so many good things. That's the thing, going to Venezuela, going to Mexico. Um, uh, just, I just have so much respect for all the stories that I've heard about the MST. Meeting MST people everywhere, like they have uh, an international program. Like there's MST people all over the world, right? Doing develop, doing um, agricultural, um, uh, agricultural development, right? They're focused on organic stuff. Uh, and so um, I just had a lot of respect for them and I wanted to go down there. And then the Foro Sao, uh, Sao Paulo thing kind of came afterwards. It was very convenient. Uh, but, you know, I went down there. One of the things that I focused on was I asked them about conflict resolution because I've heard that that's where they do, uh, that's where they might prevent, uh, present to us a model that we might be able to use in DSA. And so... Um, for one thing, I heard that they have a very, they explained to me that they have a very strong political foundation, right? That's, you know, we don't really do that in DSA. We have socialists, uh, it's like uh, socialist schools. Uh, what do we call them? There's a number. Like the night schools? The night schools, yeah. We have those night schools. Um, but they're not really consistent, um, you know, it, and it's not a requirement. I know we try to do it, but it's not, it's not on the same level as the MST, right? Where there's a very clear political foundation that everybody has to go through, right? So, you know, that was part of um, the response is that, you know, we're very, very clear in what we believe in. Mm. Yeah, and so they have uh, three points. I actually forgot my notes, um, but it's very much focused on uh, history, philosophy, and political economics, right? So one of the things, it doesn't matter where you're from, be a rural peasant, you can be a student, whatever. You're going to learn about like the superstructure, right? Um, you're going to learn a basic understanding of of um, uh, of, of Marxist history, right? Um, his conception of history, and so uh, that's one thing that they feel like helps prevent um, some of the fighting. Uh, another thing is um, this. They have a similar model. They call it the same thing, which is like this, you know, nucleus de basis. It's uh, this nucleus base, right, when it comes to organizing, right? And this is particularly, I'm talking particularly when they go through the political education program. So ENFE, I forgot to explain this. ENFE is um, the uh, 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 Florestan Fernandez uh, school, and it is a... Um, political education school that was built, that they built just out of uh, Sao Paulo, right? Flores San Fernandez, yes. And so um, they have all kinds of programming there. It's not just theirs, you know, they, they kind of let other schools, they let other parties use the space, but for the most part, it's, it's theirs, they built it. And so um, part of going through these political education schools that could be weeks long, right, is that you form a nucleus of people, five people, 10 people or whatever, but that conflict resolution is very much the self-regulation of interpersonal conflict is an expectation, right? Comparatively to DSA, that's the grievance mm -hmm. committee, right? It's not necessarily built in that, uh, you know, um, uh, debating towards a, uh, a resolution is like part of it, mm -hmm. right? Whereas with MST, they understand that those that's just as important as learning the superstructure, mm -hmm. right? Learning how to live together and learning how to uh, solve conflicts, that those things go hand in hand. That is not our perspective within our organization. Mm -hmm. It's all superstructure, grievance committee uh, deals with the tweets or deals, you know, whatever mean comment that, that we have to deal with. So, like I said, part of the culture, um, that, was, that was pretty clear. And so um, another example is like, if you go through these political schools, you live together, right? And so there is a scheduled time once a week where you have direct communication and I'm able to sit down with like 
at you, Austin, and be like, hey, Austin, your ass was supposed to sweep the floor, uh, you know, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. That was your uh, duties for that. Those were your chores that day, and you didn't do it. And so, you know, it doesn't always have to be personal. It's just a space where we can talk about these things, and they don't fester inside us like middle-class people from New England, right? <laughs> so... <laughs> honest, you know, yeah, just yeah. Being, like, keeping it real, being yeah. direct. But not a but not an asshole about it. Yeah, that's that's yeah for real. Yeah, or even you know maybe you can be an asshole about it. You're gonna be an asshole about it for ten minutes, and then you <laughs> and then you let it go. That's the thing. Right, that's right. Enough, I feel like grudges are like a middle class thing. I swear, I thought it was a white thing, but it's not. I, right. That's the thing. That's what I'm understanding is that it's not. It's middle class POC are are very much have these types of carry these types of things too because it's a class thing, uh, at least in my perspective. So. Um, you know, so there's, those are the types of things that, that we can learn from. I realize that, you know, we've talked about conflict a lot, um, in DSA and how to solve it and stuff like that. And a lot of people's answers seem to be like, we should act like better people, you know, or we should call each other, which calling each other is fine, but these kind of individualist solutions, um, to like solving organizational problems, uh, like being a better person doesn't work with racism, right? Like mm. we could all try to, it's just very, right. it's very rugged individuals. Like we could all just not be racist, right? Or you can structure society in a way where it makes, you know, being racist very difficult. And we, you know, we do the education to make sure that we understand, you know, tribalism and stuff like that. And so um, that's, I feel like the approach that we could learn from is that we need to build the culture. It's not just about us individual it just individually making kind of these behavioral commitments. Um, and so the, another thing that I learned from that I feel like we could gain from this organization is that they have something called Mysticas. Have you guys heard of Mysticas? I have even mm -hmm. before we talked about it last week. <laughs> okay. So, okay. So <laughs> that's one of the things um, that, uh, this is very much conjecture on my part that helps keep them together, right? And so at the beginning of the day, if you do one of these polyed schools, if it's two weeks or two months, every morning you get together and you do a mystica. It's about 8.30 a.m. They're very tight on the schedule there. I really respect that. And so a mystica can be, you know, if you, I sat in, I had the privilege of sitting in on a class where they start, they just started talking about mysticas, right? They were just explaining it to this group of cadre. And so, you know, you ask folks in MST what it is, and they're going to say, it's very, very complicated. I really don't think it's that complicated. But what, what my, from what I've read, from what I've seen, is that it is a spiritual uh, and political performance every morning, right? And it's kind of, it functions as a grounding activity, right? You could either do it at the beginning of the day, you could do it um, after debate, right? You could do it at the end of a work day. They literally built that school, Um it was MST members who built that school, right? So they would take the day, they would help build the school, workers would, would build the school, um, and then they would do a mystica, and then they would continue their political education, if you can imagine that. So that's really cool to learn. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, we could do, we could start exploring, but again, building a culture on DSA to do something like that, either at the beginning or the end of meetings. And so the idea is that it reminds us that fundamentally our job is to connect with one another around a shared goal, right? Um, and so mysticas could be like singing that they would sing the, the anthem of MST. Um, uh, someone talks about uh, recognizing like a, a, an important historical date, like we did at the beginning, right? We talked about like what what the Cuban revolution means to us. Um, uh, it could be um, a, a short play with characters that close with like a, a chant. Um, but these are really involved. Like these aren't like 30 second things in the beginning. It's like you bring symbols, you know, you have characters, they act it out. It doesn't have to be terribly long, but it does have to be meaningful, right? That's also a big part of it. Um, you could have somebody sing a song. Um, for instance, like at DSA convention, a mystica could be uh, to build a shrine, right? Of what, what DSA means symbolically. Right. Um, someone could lay down, uh, you know, uh, 
a repaired head, broken headlight, right? Uh, a teamster jacket, a, you know, whatever symbols come to mind. And so that could be something, again, reminding us that we're part of an organization together. Um, and so that's something that I feel like, you know, is really important. Uh, you could be dismissive and say that rituals don't, you know, don't work, but they kind of do. Like every religion in the world kind of, <laughs> kind of says that that's not true. And so I don't know why um, we couldn't do the same thing. Um, by, we could infuse politics into it, but then also do the same thing um, in DSA. I, you know, it's interesting. And, and you're saying this is kind of, this is universal in MST's uh, political education and, and their development, like these kinds of things that maybe uh, some folks might scoff at, um, these kinds of activities. But this is part of MST, again, uh, one of the more inspiring political movements uh, worldwide and especially in the region, this you, this is kind of universal in their political education programs. Yes. Oh yeah, absolutely. And it's actually what's funny is that when I sat on that class, the professor asked, like, "Do you do mysticas?" Because this is a classroom of of, of um, mostly younger people from various parties and movements around Latin America. And so they asked, like, do you, you know, he asked, like, do, do you know what a mystica is? Do you do mysticas? And a lot of people raised their hand and said, "Yeah, we do something like that." Maybe right. we don't use that word, or sometimes a dude from Argentina said, "Yeah, we use that word, but we have no idea where it comes from." You know, so this idea, this notion, has certainly spread um, beyond just uh, Brazil and MST. I know some of the communes in Venezuela do similar things. That was the first place that I became familiar with the concept uh, years ago. But even still, like uh, just being like of Hispanic background, right? This is Hispanic bread and butter right here doing some sort of shit like this. This is an exact, like engaging some sort of element of spirituality and like things that, that we do in our everyday lives is part of the uh, Hispanic experience. Um, and obviously not just the Hispanic experience, but the experience of many different cultures and civilizations. So I, I, I imagine that's part of why the concept is not so super duper foreign to us, but please go ahead, T. And I think, you know, if, if secular people that might get like kind of weirded out at sort of these sorts of things, it's, you've done a mystica yourself. You just didn't call it that, you know, the feeling of, you know, being in a rally and chanting together, you know what I mean? You've, you've had that, if you've been to a concert, you've had that kind of like communal, like release, right. And grounding, um, they have simply done one better. They've turned these very common communal experiences we have and then infuse politics into it, right? They're, they're grounding, they're, as you said earlier, Louise, kind of like there is, you know, we like to pretend there isn't a relationship between the sort of interpersonal and the political difference um, that we want to kick it off to grievance or something like that. But they've infused these, you know, all too common communal acts with with politics, right? So uh, it's it's you know spiritual in the best sense of the word, is, is from what I what I'm gathering. Go ahead, Louisa. Yeah, I was I say all the time, um, socialism is my religion. You know, right. we meet on we meet on Sundays, we read <laughs> books together. You know, we have our own songs. Uh, you know, I right. I spent all of my time. DSA and organizing and stuff like that. So, and I, I've gotten more inspiration as a human being out of socialism. I think more than God ever could. I'm just being frank with you. <laughs> just replace socialism with God. And I don't know what, like, what would I do with my life if I wasn't organizing? Like, I'm not trying to shit on people who have gardens. I just can't imagine gardening. You know what I mean? It's like spending all that oh, energy. Oh, you're hurting me. You're no, hurting no, no, no. I'm not saying that you can't garden and organize. I'm just saying that... <laughs> If I only gardened, you right. know what I'm saying? Or if I only just did my um, sketches of koi fish, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I, I just don't know what I would do. Yeah, one million percent. And and I would also use that as an opportunity to, 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 to further segue here as far as like transitioning back to the United States context, because while I know we could do a multi hour episode on just the things we the themes we've touched upon so far. Um you're running for NPC, right? National Political Committee. Uh, if elected, dare I say, when you are elected, oh, what right. are some of your goals, right? Like uh, before, as as we're getting to the hour marker, right? Like, wh what are some of your goals? What do what do you want you know, for anybody out there who's a delegate to the convention or is a DSA member? Like, uh, this is your chance to talk to them. What are what are your goals? Why should they support you? Well, first and foremost, um, I feel like I've done. I again, I I. 
I have a broad range of experience. Right now, my focus is on internationalism, right? That's where I choose to, um, uh, uh, to, to, to put my work into. And part of it is just my own personal interest. But more than anything, I feel like DSA as an organization has a lot to learn from other countries, right? Other movements and other parties in other countries, right? I think just as much as there, um, uh, there's a desire for the Latin American left to know about the United States, I think there's, uh, should be, I think there's a void in the United States left um, that can be filled with partnerships, right? In the global South, uh, in learning from the global South. If, you know, my whole thing is I want to make sure that that keeps going, right? That all the work that we've done on the IC in the last couple of years since it's opened up um, continues to be uh, supported, right? And supported in a really strong way. Like, you know, I, it's me and Jorge uh, Rocha who's running. Um, He's an eMERGE candidate. And so, um, you know, if we both got elected, there was, you know, you could be, you could be, you could rest assured that international work would definitely continue to be, um, would be prioritized on the NPC, right? You would have two people who have been on the steering committee who understand um, some of the difficulties of, of organizing internationally and could speak to that experience, right? So I'll, I'll give you an example. Translation is a big pain in the ass. We don't get money, right, for translation. Um, we kind of have to beg for it right now. And so having put on enough of these damn webinars, it's very, very frustrating when we have like, um, you know, like a high level labor organizer or like um, a foreign official who's happy to talk to us, but we, I'm like begging volunteer translators, right? That's very difficult and it's very frustrating. It's not super respectful to the uh, to the guest, right? The, the the people that we're trying to organize with. So um, the the IC resolution, um, the consensus resolution, uh, we put in there twenty five grand for delegations, but also for translation, right? I cannot stress enough how important it is and how frustrating it is um, to get good translation. Um, so. You know, my whole thing is I just want to make sure that the IC continues to grow and that we continue um, we continue to to work in solidarity with the rest of the global south. Obviously, the nature of your podcast, nature of my work has been Latin America, but I want to make sure that people understand, like, I am just as interested and I care just as much about the rest of the global south. I think we have a lot to learn from, um, you know, the Communist Party of India Marxists and, you know, the people in Nepal and, you know, the Vietnamese um, Socialist Party and stuff like that. I think it's super duper interesting. I just don't speak Vietnamese, right? (laughs) I just don't. I just don't. And so, um, you know, my focus, again, and obviously my personal background, your guys' personal background is that we're we're Latin American. Um, So that's one thing is just protecting IC work. The second thing is that I would really like to explore um, dual membership, right? So there's lots of, there's a huge expat population of Mexicans in the United States, obviously, right? And so, um, and there are people who live in the United States who vote um, in Mexico. There's no reason why we couldn't say if you're a, if you're a member of Morena, then you also get, um, uh, you're entitled to be a voting member within DSA. I think it would help both of us right? Um, Mexicans would have um, some way to organize, right? On the left, on the American left in the United States. Um, But then also we would gain by having um, a certain level of of diversity, right? Within our organization. And if we do it right, it'll be poor Mexicans, right? So we have more of a class perspective, a stronger, a poor perspective within our organization too. So um, those are the, the two things um, that come to mind that I would really like to, to see and, um, and do as an NPC member. Very, very well said. Oh, my goodness. As we're getting to quite literally the hour mark here, and it's amazing. I feel like we talked about so much and still only like scratched the surface. I feel like, once again, we could do five hours apiece on everything that we talked about today. Um, any, any final questions T any, anything you wanted to, to ask before, before we begin to outro here? 
No, no, that was that was great. I, I was especially loved hearing about uh, your your time in Brazil and your time with the uh, landless workers. I, I share a great admiration for them. So that was very interesting. Damn right. We're going to start every Machete Mate episode with a mistica. <laughs> Hell yeah. That, that sounds great. You know, one of the things when I was in class is that they said um, that mistica is a form of spiritual satisfaction for human beings and we need it whether or not we recognize it or not like you said t people do it they just don't put that name on it doesn't matter if they consider themselves secular maybe agnostic or whatever and so it's a way of satisfying a human need just like organizing is right just like socialism path to dignity uh can be right one million percent oh my goodness louise well said very well said yes extremely well said louisa my friend my comrade thank you so much again for your time this was a this really was a wonderful discussion uh not only do i wish you luck in your election i strongly encourage any dsa members listening or if you have friends that are going to be delegates right to support luisa and jorge uh at the top of your ballots for mpc if you do want to see the international committee work continue in the way that it has has been um we need to continue the long and, and grueling but necessary and, and so crucially important work of bringing the U.S. left closer to the Latin American left and to the global left, as you've mentioned there. Um, you really should be damn proud of, of everything you've already accomplished thus far in, in that aspect. And I once again, thank you for joining us today. Where can the people find you? Plug yourself. Where can the people find you? Oh, geez, I should have had. Uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, it's at Louisa Knuckles. Uh, Knuckles is the K is capitalized. And I'm on Instagram, but it's just ferrets. It's just <laughs> nice. photos of my ferrets. Yeah, so I won't plug that. But Louisa Knuckles, I'm on Twitter. Hell yeah. Beautiful. Follow her on Twitter. I know you've got some campaign stuff on there as well. And once again, please support her. Um, but yes, peace and love to all the Machete Matistas out there. Say goodbye, T. Take care, y'all. Peace. Mi gente, thank you for listening to this edition of Machete Mate. If you support what we do, consider showing your solidarity at patreon.com slash machete mate. You'll be helping us out by allowing us to put out more and better content while also getting access to our Discord community, our more casual and personal after dark episodes, and any other projects we might have down the road. If not, we still love you, so show us some love with a good rating review on whatever platform you spend time with us. And as always, hasta la victoria.